Welcome, everybody, to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast, where we bring you an unmatched level of love and passion for the sport of professional wrestling. I am Kenny Oak, and joining me, as always, is Chris Harris. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good, Bubs. How about yourself? You know, it's it's a little wet out here in Afghanistan, go figure, but uh, I'm surviving. Well, it's good. I'm glad you finally found some time so we can cut this episode here. Wow, you're glad I found time. Okay. Wow, starting off right away. That's well, I'm, good. I'm sorry. It's it's good it's good to be back though, Bubs. I'm excited to talk some yeah, pro wrestling with you. Absolutely. And today we're doing a paper review, which if you've been listening to us, uh, is when we dig deep into the archives of professional wrestling and uh, review an older pay-per-view from back in the day. And uh, today we got a rare treat for you where uh, we've left the safety of the WWE and we are reviewing ECW's first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal, from 1997. This is going to be a good one. It's. I think we're going to get a little off topic when we're talking about this one because we're talking about ECW for the first time, but we'll definitely try and stay on track with the pay-per-view itself. But uh, there's definitely some guys in here that we're going to want to talk about for a few minutes. I know it. Yeah, the one thing about ECW is that, you know, it's they, they had a lot of really good talent. And, you know, it's a shame that they really couldn't pay these guys to stick around. But uh, they really did – some of these guys did a lot of good things outside of ECW, but for the most part, they did their best work there in ECW. Yeah, early ECW is definitely par- part of a revolving door where people were coming through it at different times and then going back and forth between WCW and WWF. So this is a, a good chance here. This is a good pay-per-view, their first pay-per-view. And then they tried to put on a pretty good show in Philadelphia, and it wasn't too bad. Yeah, and uh, really – when, when watching this, one of the first things that came to my head was it, it's definitely hard to, to compare ECW to WWE or WCW, uh, and it's hard to call them competitive, really, when you see just, just the production value of their pay-per-view compared to, you know, you, you could definitely tell they don't have the money or any of the financial backing that, you know, those other two promotions had, and it's really hard to compete when you know you're lacking in one of the biggest contributors to success and that's money right and this pay-per-view that they they pulled off here successful in their eyes but this had like i think 1200 people or something in attendance in the ecw arena but there's some really top flight guys in here some guys that definitely have made a name for themselves since then and were top card guys back in the day that could have been in wcw or wwf but definitely the lack of value you could see you know very few camera angles there was nowhere for Joey Styles to sit. I mean, there was a lot of things in here that I just simply was like, damn, and how did they maintain and get through? But but they definitely did because there were some loyal fans. Yeah, and they pushed through for another you know four or five years after this. But uh, one of the things that uh, – I did some research on this. Uh, the pay-per-view buy rate for this one, they, uh, they had a pay-per-view rating of .20, which I don't believe is very good. And they had a live gate – of sixty six thousand uh, dollars that they made, right? So, so that, yeah, it, that, it may not, not have been a, a financial success. No, it may not have been a huge financial success. But honestly, for them to be able to pull off this pay per view and to give you a little bit of uh, history on this, uh, they were supposed to do this pay per view much earlier than what they did, but they had the um, that incident with New Jack uh, almost killing that miner. Yeah, uh, I forget the name of that. It's like New York Transit. 
I forgot about incident, that incident, something like that. Right. Yeah, and and so because of that, a lot of people went and complained to the uh, pay per view company that was going to back them and said, "No, we do not want them on TV." And they got pulled and had to wait again to find another uh, carrier to be able to uh, support them to run this pay per view. So there was a lot, a lot going on there at the time, and a lot of a lot of things holding them back. But you know, kudos to them to being able to finally pull it off and especially kudos to paul Heyman for back then for not giving up on the product that he wanted because if you hear him talk about this this era this 96 97 era where they were trying to get on pay-per-view he himself was saying it was an absolute struggle to get anybody to support them because of the type of stuff they put on tv and they didn't want to risk you know doing the pay-per-view hours and the buys and having it not come back with the amount of money that they needed so it was a risk regardless yeah it definitely was a risk and uh, one of the great moments that came out of this pay-per-view was if you've ever watched the documentary Beyond the Mat, there's a great mm-hmm. behind-the-scenes uh, of this pay-per-view, and just the speech that Paul Heyman gives him right. beforehand. Uh, really, you know, you can really see why people were so inspired by him and really stuck by him for so long. Just He was the ultimate motivator. Yeah, he really was. And there's he was one thing he could do. Yeah, it's one thing he could do great. He was definitely, definitely the guy that... Uh, they kept them afloat and doing so many different things, along with some of the original guys that were there doing two or three jobs just to keep the, the business going. So this is definitely something they were looking forward to, and I'm glad they pulled it off the way they did. But you could definitely see the budget was low, but they made it the best that they could, I think. But I don't think it's fair to compare it to, to any other type of pay-per-view when you talk about the way it looked, the audience, even the match work. It's all completely different. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you really have to go into this, you know, and and thinking, you know, go through it with a fine tooth comb and, and try so hard not to compare it to, you know, some of these other organizations because they don't have the, you know, video packages, you know, that WWE has set, you know, setting up a match that really gets you motivated. So it was one of those things where you had to either been watching the product before. And really, they didn't really carry a lot of storylines into it. So uh, watching the pay-per-view, they did a good job of just, you know, showing you matches and, you know, giving you a solid wrestling action. Yeah, they were definitely not known for their great storylines. They're definitely not a, not a lot of guys on the roster that were cutting great promos by any means. And there's some trash that we see in here as far as promo work goes. Yes. We'll talk about Chris Candino in a minute. But um, <laughs> overall... <laughs> um, I, I like I like some of the matches. I like that they that they put seven matches on the card to to fill it out. It went fairly long too. So yes, overall I definitely it went think- long. However, however they barely made it in time because they were about ten minutes away from it being shut down. Like they lost power in the building, and they had just enough time to finish out the finish out the show and then cut to cut to black. Well, thank so God they got real. Thank God they made it. <laughs> Yes. All right, do you want to go ahead and uh, jump into this? Sure, I'm ready for it if you are. All right, let's do it. Uh, first match, well, actually, the start of the pay-per-view, we had you know Joey Styles in the ring, you know, welcoming everyone to the first-ever ECW pay-per-view. And honestly, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Joey Styles as an announcer, as a, especially as a one-man announcer. Uh but, you know, he's the voice of ECW, so he, he started off the pay-per-view. And the first match of the night was uh, for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. It was the champions, the Dudley Boys, defending against the Eliminators, 
who are uh, John Kronos and Perry Saturn. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Styles, and I want to hit that real quick. I think him by himself is probably the worst type of commentary. Nothing really against him personally. I'm not saying he's awful, but him doing play-by-play by himself, it didn't do anything for the matches for me. I mean, I don't, I don't like hearing him call out every single move, like the Bubba Bomb and the Bubba Slam and the Saturn Salt and the Taz Plex yeah, on every type of Taz everything. and every type of Suplex. God, that's one thing I wanted to bring up too. Everything was named like no yeah. matter what they did, it was named after them. Yeah, there are not that many types of suplexes that need to be called a Taz Plex. But no. but I mean, he was definitely by himself. It was a lot of work, so I'm not taking that away from him. I'm just saying it didn't it didn't add anything to the matches for me. But uh, yeah, it starts right off with him in the ring, and then we get right into the Eliminators versus the Dudleys for the tag titles. And what turned out to be, I'm just going to call it what it is. I think it was a bit of a squash, honestly. Oh yeah, absolutely. The Eliminators just went in and just, you know, made quick work. It was a six-minute match. Made it was. quick work of the Dudleys. Most most of the match though, or the pre pre match, was uh, the Dudleys just you know ripping into the crowd and really, you know, getting them to hate the Dudleys. Yeah. Which the the Dudleys have always been solid on the mic and can always make you hate them. Like that's just something they've always been good at. They're very good heels. And, uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. And so the crowd definitely was ready for them to lose. And then the Eliminators, you know, they are very athletic, but you can really tell that Saturn was the leader of that group, and that you can you could see him calling a lot of stuff, and you know, making sure Chronos uh, was paying attention to the action, and you know where he needed to be. Yeah, this was a, a different type of Perry Saturn than I think we ever saw in WCW or his time when he came over to the WWE. This was a super athletic Perry Saturn doing. A lot more athletic stuff, a lot more kicks, a lot of a lot of stuff we really didn't see him do, not in the ECW. Yeah, he he did some really crazy things, like when he did that, uh, you know, he jumped on the middle rope, then jumped to the top rope, and then jumped off the that top. Just some of the moves he he did were super athletic for for a guy that yeah he was short, but he was he was pretty thick. He really was, and and, and Kronos did some crazy stuff too. I'm not sure why the the angle was to kind of just have them beat the shit out of the Dudleys because the Dudleys were definitely the top tag team in ECW at the time, and they they just kind of let the Eliminators have it, and they didn't. There wasn't much of a fight put up, so I'm not really sure what the the, the angle was there, but it was like a six minute match, like you said, and it was over rather quickly. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think there was much of an angle to it as it was just just getting the crowd hot. You know, first match, right. you know, the the Dudleys go out and really do their best to, to piss off the crowd and then the you know, Eliminators come in and just beat up on the Dudleys and it got the crowd excited. They were, you know, really hot for the Eliminators winning. So overall, I think the ma- the match was fine for what it was. I just I would have much rather seen the Dudleys doing you know, a few more things in the ring instead of just laying down. But uh, it was a good way to start it, especially with the Dudleys talking so much shit like they do. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, call me a traditionalist, but I'm not a big fan of the Tornado Tag matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like just a traditional, you know, two people in the ring, you know, tag in, tag out kind of stuff. So it, it's kind of, it was kind of weird having just an all-out fight for a tag team title match. Right, especially for, to change the titles over too, so I definitely agree with you. Yeah, but it, it, it's not like it mattered because it was essentially, like you said, a squash match. The Eliminators just... I mean, they, they just, eliminated that, the that's all. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Okay. 
But I'm glad you did. Yeah, there was not a lot of talk not a lot to talk about except for the top flight athleticism shown by both Saturn and Kronos. Other than that, that's pretty much it. But it, it definitely served its purpose of getting the crowd ready, and then we kind of got brought back down to earth by a little promo in the ring. Yes, after that match, good old Chris Candido. Dito. Terrible <laughs> name. Right. Such a horrible name. But he came out to the ring in a sling because he was supposed to wrestle Lance Storm. And then he cut one of the worst promos I've heard at a pay-per-view probably ever. Probably ever. I still don't know what he was trying to get across. I've I've rewatched it three times before this, and I still have no idea what was going on. I'm glad it it wasn't – well, it kind of was long, but I'm glad it didn't go on any longer. And we finally got a match out of this, which was Rob Van Dam coming back to meet up against Lance Storm, a very underrated guy, I think, ever in Lance Storm. Well, the thing about Lance Storm is, yes, he was supremely athletic, and he was really good in the ring, but he had about a negative 10 charisma. Exactly. He had nothing in the ring. Aside from great athleticism, he couldn't do much else. He wasn't a talker. No, he, he wasn't a good talker. He wasn't. He didn't have a lot of like facial expressions. You know, he was just very stone faced. You know, everything he did just was very Canadian. Just kind of yeah, <laughs> oh, extremely Canadian. <laughs> Not Winnipeg Canadian like Chris Jericho no, 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 no. or Kenny Omega, but <laughs> like the the salty Canada. Mm-hmm. And this was against like where my mother uh, was from. Oh, that's that's mean. Ooh, ooh. No, well, she doesn't listen. Okay, good. Yeah, she's not she's not one of the loyal listeners. <laughs> she's not one of the ten loyal listeners to Color and Elbow Wrestling. <laughs> but he was up against Van Dam, a heel Rob Van Dam, which I absolutely never liked. Was not a fan of heel Rob no. Van Dam ever. Um, great. He is not that as a heel. Another guy who necessarily didn't have the most charisma in the world, but my God, could he work in the ring and could he fly around? Yeah, at least, you know, he he was never a good talker at all, but at least when he was in the ring, like, he had a lot going for him other than Lance Storm in terms of charisma. Just, like, the things he did, the little subtleties, his his uh, RVD chant, mm-hmm. which wasn't, it wasn't really there yet. The fans weren't behind it just yet. Uh, but, yeah, he, he had, RVD definitely had a lot going for him, you know, minus the whole drug issue stuff, but, you know, that's... Mm, that's later. That's for another day. <laughs> this match was pretty good, though. But, they did uh, some pretty good. They did some pretty good back and forth. Uh, Storm had the advantage. Rob Van Dam had the advantage. Van Dam controlled most of the match, and uh, he didn't. I wouldn't necessarily say he carried it, but you could say that he was definitely controlling most of the match, and it turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, the only thing that really stuck in my craw about this match was, uh, you know, a lot of talk goes to how great the ECW Arena fans were, but uh, just. Every, anytime someone was even mentioned about going somewhere other than ECW, you know, to get paid actual money uh, instead of not getting paychecks Mm -hmm. from Paul Heyman, uh, they, they they go, you sold out, you sold, I can't count how many you sold out chants that those ECW crowds have given in 31,000 chants just in this, uh, this (laughs) pay-per-view alone directed at Rob Van Dam because he decided he wanted to go get money. Which I guess is such a terrible yeah, thing. Geez. So it makes him a bad person. It, it is. And he he popped on is, the, he know? popped on the mic to talk about it. And it wasn't even necessarily a, a heel promo. It was him being honest about what the fuck he did. But the fans absolutely hated it because he wasn't loyal. 
So I, I don't yeah. like that. I've never liked ECW fans. I've told you this. No, they are yes. they're they're quite uh, unique. But uh, the the issue with them is that same same with the NXT fans. We've talked about this, and I love NXT, and I I enjoy the NXT arena, but. A lot of times the fans just hijack the show and make it all about them instead of the actual wrestlers. And it's hard to put wrestlers over when you're trying to put yourself over as a fan. And fans don't realize that. Yeah, this was back in the day where, the, I mean, especially for original ECW, this is where the fans thought that it was all for them. And they really weren't there to be entertained. They were there to just be boisterous and be obnoxious because that's what ECW was. It was different from the traditional stuff. So these were tradition, non-traditional fans. So they, them talking out was very common. Yeah, and uh, there there was a lot of moments in this pay-per-view where, you know, there was a big spot coming up, and then some fan would stand up, stare at the camera, and put up a big sign right in front of the camera, and you miss the spot. I think it happened mm-hmm. with the Eliminators. I think Kronos went over the top rope, uh, but a fan stuck up his, you know, stupid pink sign, and I, you miss it just because of the camera angle. Right. But yeah, the crowd really, really got to me in this match. It really, it really took me out of it. But I mean, it, it was a pretty decent match. But nothing really stood out in the match. Uh, the crowd did not like Lance Storm's very soft chair shots that he was giving. They to were them. very soft because <laughs> it's because they weren't loud. So there was no, you know, reception yes. of it throughout the arena, and they they kind of booed him. <laughs> I had I had someone standing over my shoulder as I was watching this, doing research on it, and when that was happening, they go, "Why is he fake hitting him with a chair?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point." Lance Storm was by no means an extreme wrestler, so he was not in his element here because he he's a very technical guy, so he's not one to be getting hit or throwing chair shots at anybody. Yeah, he is the ultimate uh, heart family wrestler right just go in do your job and get out as you saw when he locked in the half boston crab on Rob yeah. van dam not something you see in ecw traditionally no well he went for the full boston crab but he could not get that other leg up so he decided to switch to the half boston crab in the end though we did get a, a van dam victory which we should have gotten van dam coming back mm-hmm. he's a much more high profile guy so he got a, he got the win Pretty short match, but it was good to see a little back and forth here and Lance Storm doing some pretty good stuff in the ring. Yeah, and then afterwards, RVD cut a promo on the fans, on Lance Storm. Lance Storm called him an asshole in the middle of the ring. He was like, yeah, I'm an asshole. But, I mean, he had every right to be upset at the fans and, you know, don't really know what was going on backstage, really. But Mm -hmm. pretty sure he had every right to be mad at Paulie. But he stayed loyal. He was he was an original, and he stuck he stuck around for a while, and he obviously won several titles there, and then came yeah. over to WWE once it all folded. So it all worked out. Yes. Now uh, this next match, uh, I was pretty. I, I I wasn't all that excited for it going into it, but it proved to be a pretty fun match. I was not excited for this either. I was like, what what the hell are they pulling off here? What is this supposed to be? And then yeah. I watched for two minutes, and I am instantly sucked right in. <laughs> As soon as the uh, Japanese Blue World Order came out, I was ready. I knew this was going to be good. Right, and I think the best part about this match, aside from 
the numerous spots and high flying and all the nonsense they pulled off was that it doesn't matter who the fuck the legal man is. It doesn't matter if no. you're tagged in or not. <laughs> there were multiple guys who would just jump in the ring and go for a pin or get pinned instantly. And the ref was like, sure, yes. I'll count this. Loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, you had uh, it was a six man tag match. Uh, it was a group from uh, Michinoku uh, Pro Wrestling in Japan. Uh, it was a northeastern uh, regional promotion in Japan. Uh, of course, you had uh, the Great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and Masato Yakushiji. Yakushiji, yes. Yeah. A, yeah. Uh, Power Ranger, which the fans <laughs> they got uh, chanted at. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, going up against uh, the BWO Japan, which was uh, Takamichinoku, uh, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo, your favorite. Yep, Dick Togo. There's some really great names right there in the BWO Japan. These guys were these guys were on point. And aside from the great names, yeah. uh, I love Takamichi Noku. He he did some good stuff in WWE. He was the first light heavyweight champion. So when I saw that he was in the match, I was I was sucked in a little bit. Well, I mean, overall, it was a pretty solid match. You had some really good action. You had, uh, you know, like you said, just a lot of back and forth action. Just people running in and out. You had no idea what was going on. It was very chaotic. Uh, uh, Joey Styles did a good job of, you know, kind of filling you in on some of the backstory. He did of uh, all these, like talking about how the uh, great Sasuke trained Takamichinoku. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it, it was it was really good action. You know, uh, the match was really good. I thought Joey Styles did, you know, a surprisingly really good job with it. You know, with without having a whole lot. Uh, to go, to base it off of, you know, he he gave credit to Dave Meltzer and and someone else for uh, doing research for mm-hmm. him leading up to that match. So uh, he did a good job of filling us in on who exactly these people were, and it made me want to go and do research on them. Yeah, he, he definitely made me care a little bit about these guys because I hadn't seen any of these guys before except for Takamichinoku because this wasn't a time when I was obviously watching Japan, and I haven't gone back and watched Japan era wrestling from this time. So. I mean, all six of these right. guys were like five foot seven, but you know, four of them were super yeah. quick, and the other two were like powerhouses. So there's really good differences in in some of the the work in the ring because you got you know all the same size people, but doing a lot of different stuff in the ring. It was really entertaining, and it was just controlled chaos from the beginning. Yeah, and uh, Grand Hamada, he was he's in his you know early to mid forties, but he was you know running, flying around the ring. You know, he, he had a very yeah, had a had a very traditional like strong style, mm-hmm. Japanese style where, you know, he was laying some hard chops and, you know, getting some stiff hits, but yeah, it was a really really fun match to watch. Uh didn't really realize that it was 15 minutes long and it just it just flew by. It was, you know, definitely sucked me in. It's probably because of my love for Japanese wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, that really helped, but uh really it was a great match you had. Uh, the Great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and Masato uh, Yakushiji defeat BWO Japan. But the crowd loved BWO Japan. But yeah, it didn't matter who won this match or not because we didn't know if there was any storyline. We didn't know who the fuck was heel or face. It didn't matter because they were just doing a lot of a lot of good stuff in the ring. There was you know, some good tag team work, double teams, triple teams, high-flying stuff, a little bit of everything. So this match was for pure entertainment purposes only, and it definitely was in the right spot on the card. Because it brought us up from what we saw, which was kind of mediocre between Van Dam and Storm, and uh, really entertained the crowd. Yeah, and uh, you know we got a couple Michinoku drivers. Uh, that's always fun to mm-hmm. 
Trying to get some Takamichi Noku in there. But unfortunately, uh, this match ended and led to the next match. <sighs> it did, and this one's hard to talk about. It's going to be hard to talk about because you and I are both huge franchise fans. Yes, and... Shane Douglas is... He he deserved the moniker of the franchise. He yes. deserved everything that he got in ECW. Uh, but man, this was all right. If, I'll go into the if, I'll go into the lead into the match. I'll, okay, I'll give the build up to the the reason this match took place. So you had Shane Douglas, who was the uh, TV champ at the time, uh, and he went up against Pitbull Number Two from the Pitbulls tag team. Uh, what led to this match is that. Uh, Shane Douglas broke uh, Pitbull number one's neck. And uh, so Pitbull number one comes in. He had the, the ridiculous head brace, yep. you know, the neck brace thing, like the head braces, whatever. And he got into the ring to confront Shane Douglas, and Shane Douglas grabbed the apparatus and just started shaking him, you know, shaking his broken neck and threw him on the ground. And, you know, that led to. You know, Pitbull number two, uh, looking for revenge against Shane Douglas and to take that TV title away from him. And there was a lot of lot of stuff going on with Rick Rude too, leading up to this. Right. Rick Rude, I uh, was trying to destroy Shane Douglas. You know, trying to just drop him down a peg. So th- there was a lot of there. There was story leading into this one. It's one of the few matches that had any kind of story. Leading up to it, but uh, that—that's what—that's why this match was taking place. It, it was such. There was so many pieces to the story, to include the pitbulls and and Rick Rude. And you hear Shane Douglas when he hops in the ring. He says, "Cut the music," as taking a line from Rick Rude, and then he points out Gary Wolf in the crowd with his broken neck. So it's all a really good yeah. build and a development of the story. But he's facing a guy in pitbull number two, who had never had any type of successful singles career had moderate to – I think that's even too much of a word – had success at best yes. uh, as a tag team. And the Pitbulls were – I mean, they were a unique style tag team. But they, I'll they just were go to say the that they were in a tag team. Okay. He was in a tag team. He Let's tagged, just say he that. He tag teamed with, with Gary Wolf, who was much better yes. than him. So, I mean, Shane Douglas was the TV champ at this time. It was a great spot for him. He'd been a heavyweight champ before, so it was great to see him holding this title. But they make this match go – I think almost 20 minutes or so. It, it felt like it at least. Uh, it was 20 minutes and 43 seconds. Okay. I had to look it up because it was. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if it was a chance that they were trying to give Pitbull number two to see if he could hang with a guy like, like Shane Douglas for so long and maybe give him an opportunity. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause this match never developed into anything. It, I mean, there wasn't a lot of, it was no flow. They weren't communicating well with each other. There was missed spots. Uh, it was 20, 21 minutes, then, if it's you're like, saying 20 minutes, 43 seconds. It's 21 minutes of wasted yeah. time with a great wrestler in the ring who, could, who couldn't do anything to help get the guy he was facing over to make this match even watchable. Yeah, Doug, Douglas is amazing, but even he could not overcome a terrible pit bull number two. I mean, this is a goddamn pay-per-view, and you put your best asset in the ring with a horrendous wrestler. Mm-hmm. It's like the story building up to it was okay. Having Rick Rude show up after the match was a good touch to get the fans into it. But other than that, it was atrocious. And honestly, it didn't even look like Douglas was really into it as well. We've seen him do great matches before, and he didn't look like he was putting his best foot forward in this. Probably because no. he, <laughs> he knows that even if he puts on his greatest match, 
that he's going to be dropped down two stars just by the guy he's going up against. So there really isn't a lot to even talk about this match. Like, it's really not worth watching, and it's unfortunate that we have to say that about, no. about one of our favorite, if not our favorite, between the two of us, our best ECW guy of all time. So it was rough. Absolutely. 100% I would put him at the top of the list for ECW mm-hmm. guys, just for what he's done for the brand, just for the, you know, the matches he put on, the stories that he was involved in. Uh, it's just... God, I just I hate that in the very first pay per view, that's what they do with Shane Douglas. Right, everything else was fine. It was great having him in the, him in the middle of the card as the TV champ. That was all fine, but you can't put him up, up against a guy like this. You need to give him someone he can shine with, or at least that can do something in the ring so they can put on a watchable match. Especially if you're going to have it be the longest match on the card. It was longer than the the three way dance. So yeah, it, it was. There's high expectations. It really for this. was. And it really just fell fat, flat on its face. So uh, I'm not holding it against Shane Douglas. I'm still going to watch him. He's still my top guy. But uh, let's just move on. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to stop talking about that match. Uh, but the next match on the card uh, dubbed the grudge match of the century. Right. Uh, sure. Styles. I mean, <laughs> sure. Of course. I'll buy it. Sure. It's, it's ECW. So, Okay. Uh, Joey Styles is the ultimate over-exaggerator. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the match was, was tasked with Bill, Al- Bill Alfonso, who I can't stand, no. going, going up against Sabu. And the lead-up to this was that uh, there was a lot of controversy with uh, Sabu. Uh, he was, you know, fired from the company because he uh, lied to Paul Heyman about a... Uh, a prior engagement that he made to be in Japan. Mm-hmm. He said he would be there at an ECW show. He didn't show up so he can go to Japan. And he basically fired him publicly yeah. in front of, I, I would say the world, but in front of ECW fans. Uh, and so he was gone for a while, and then they reconciled and brought him back to have this match with, with Taz. Well, it was a lack of options. When Sabu's a good performer in the ring, so... Heyman didn't have a lot of leeway when Sabu's like, sure, I'll come back. And Heyman's like, well, you know, I kind of got to have you because I don't have that many top guys on the card. So however they worked it out, I think it was definitely a necessity that Heyman had to bring him back to, to especially be on the pay-per-view card. Well, yeah, but that's something that he could have – you could have put him in another – This, I think this is a match where Shane Douglas should have been – it should have been Taz and Shane Douglas for the TV title. That's what I would have preferred. But all in all, this was a pretty solid match. Yeah, this was uh, this is where it went a bit, bit extreme for the first time uh, on the card. We saw some extreme stuff of a lot of jumping by Sabu and a lot of Taz plexes of varying sorts. Yes, and uh, Taz plex. Everything's a Taz plex. Yeah, if he lifts you up, it's a Taz plex. Anytime, anytime Taz grabs you, it's a variation of a Taz plex. Just ask Joey Styles. But uh, this match was pretty yeah. good. It, it was pretty long too, but I think all in all, it was. It was pretty solid from the beginning to the end. Sabu had a, a legit uh, neck injury and an upper shoulder injury p- before this that he hurt more so in the match when he went through a table, which he sold very well. And there was a lot of blood, and this it was it was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. If you ask Joey Styles, though, Taz definitely broke his nose. Uh, Joey Styles being the ultimate uh, over exaggerator, Taz was uh, hitting Sabu with some cross face, you know, forearms, and mm-hmm. he he had a bloody nose, and so Joey Styles is like, "Yep, definitely his nose is broken. Taz broke his nose." 
It's like you, you don't need – that's one thing about Joey Styles and his commentating styles is you don't need to like add that much to, to add drama. Like yeah. I understand you're trying to add drama to the match, but you don't need to go that far to try and add drama. Well, he never stopped doing it throughout his entire commentating career. That's been his style since then, and it's by no means gotten better. I'm not a fan of his, like I said. But uh, he, 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 did, he oversells a lot of stuff. This match could have been told without him on commentary at all, and I still would have watched it because they, they worked pretty good in the ring. And obviously they were both at their prime. Young Taz was pretty good to see. Oh, yeah. And, and Taz was a, he was a machine, and he was built like a wrecking ball. And uh, what, what, What's his finisher, his submission, the Kaja Hajimane? Kaja Hajimane. If I, if I heard Joyce... Yeah, if I heard that one more time, followed by a task mission, it's like call it one or the other. Yep, and he—I think he said it probably no, no shit, probably nineteen times. Just if he locks in the Kaja Hajime, it's a Kaja Hajime, and then Sabu locked it on him once. No one has in. ever. He it's... yelled out Kaja Hajime. Oh, one. Yes. Uh, one of the things that killed me the most was like right off the bat, like one of the first things Tash tried to do was put Sabu in the Kaja Hajime, and. Joey and you know Taz couldn't really get it applied too well, so Sabu gets out of it. So Joey Styles yells, "No one's ever been able to counter the Kajahajime!" Oh, oh my God! When literally people have, it's, like, oh, but come on. it's something we don't need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but, uh, the one, guys, of the, one of the best, one of the best spots I saw in the match. Uh, as much as I hate Bill Alfonso, this was a pretty good moment. Uh, Taz uh, suplexes Sabu into the crowd. And uh, Bill Alfonso comes up to Taz and goes, he's still alive. He's still alive. He's Sabu. He is still alive. Finish him. It is super and I thought that voice. was a really good way to kind of tell that story. As much as I hate, yes, as much as I hate Bill Alfonso, that was probably the best storytelling in that match done by someone that wasn't one of the wrestlers. Yeah. And that, that's something that I think was definitely a part of ECW was, that's part of their storytelling was I'm going to beat you so bad and put you through so much shit and make you bleed so much that I'm going to make people believe that I'm trying to kill you. Almost, almost literally. Yeah. And I mean, Bill Alfonso, he's a, he's a hell of a manager, super annoying dude, but he's a great personality. Oh yeah. And, uh, he comes together in the end here and is a big part of the endings of the storyline. But, uh, altogether, I really did like the match. Sabu sold a lot of, he was injured, for, for real, but he also sold it really well, and Taz put on a hell of a show. Yeah, I think Sabu lives in a constant state of injury. Yeah, he's never not hurt. So, no, yeah. So, pretty much, no matter what match he's in, he's hurt going into it. But, yeah, they it, it was a very solid match. It went, it went about 18 to 20 minutes, so, you know, and they, they did just enough to keep you engaged the entire time, and uh, Taz, Taz beats Sabu with the Kajahajime, the Kajahajime mm. Taz mission. And, uh, and then afterwards, you know, he cuts a promo. I like uh, the promo. The crowd tried to hijack it. And they he, did. Yeah. Crowd tried to hijack it and he, you know, essentially told them to shut the hell up and, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. Uh, and then, you know, they shook hands, it, you know, it looked Looked like they were, you know, reconciled, and then right. here comes Rob Van Dam. 
Yeah, sure enough. It, it was definitely a way to get Rob Van, Van Dam back at the top of the card type of dude away from a Lance Storm type match to put him with Sabu and with Bill Alfonso. And they, they go on winning the tag titles down the road and stuff and form a pretty good little team. So I didn't I didn't mind it too much. A turn a turn by Bill Alfonso on Taz. Another reason why I hate the ECW fans. Uh, as they are destroying Taz, like brutally, the crowd's cheering them on and chanting for Sabu. That's pretty backwards, like, right? Yeah, like I, I just don't understand it. Like I don't understand wrestling fans. I don't understand because that, that's they, how it is nowadays. They they wanted like sh- sheer violence and like they want to see people get the shit beat out of them. Because I mean, Philadelphia is a rough place to be. So those those people are, are just is. rough in general. So I mean, they they, they cheered some. <laughs> well, some you see it nowadays. Things. I mean, when when Samoa Joe came out and and, and to just destroy Seth Rollins, I get it. You know, Samoa Joe's on the main roster. It's awesome, but yeah. you know, he's destroying who's supposed to be the top babyface yep. in the company, and the crowd's you know eating it up and loving it. That's why I think, and you've called me crazy on this, but I think the new heel face dynamic is yeah, like traditional babyfaces are are now the heels, and traditional heels are now the babyfaces. The crowd crowds the heels and hate babyfaces. Like Roman Reigns is a tremendous worker. You know, he, he puts his heart and soul into it, uh, but the crowd hates him. You know, he's a super charismatic guy. You know, it's it's not his fault that, you know, the company sees him as a top guy, which he should be. He's got the look. He's got the in-ring skill. Mm-hmm. But the crowd boos him. He's a traditional babyface, but he gets booed. And traditional heels like Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, are, you know, getting cheered and chanted and are so over as you know getting baby face reactions and i absolutely hate it samoa joe is great i love that he's on the roster now but i mean he's trees a true heel always has been always will be so he should have gotten absolutely booed you know and 20 years ago he would have gotten booed but now that we have this overexposure to people especially through social media and we can watch everybody's lives and we know the the inner workings of the back none of it none of it matters anymore there's no real such thing as heel face people just decide if they hate you or they like you yeah and i i still try to watch it as if you know what how wwe would want me to watch it if someone's a face you know for the most part i want to cheer for them if i have a guy that i really like like aj styles no matter what if he's a face or heel i'm going to cheer for him yep but you know guys like john cena who we should be cheering you know he tell me someone who deserves to be cheered more than john cena the fans absolutely hate him now because they, they've been yeah. they've been too overexposed to him, and they just don't want him as the top guy. I really don't know why they don't want him. He can still fucking perform amazingly. He's so good. Fuck. That match was so good. And, and I'm dude, about to say something. He keeps that adding people stuff to his repertoire. Are, so go ahead and say what you're going to say. I think you know what I'm going to say. Go ahead. And it's going to absolutely kill me. And people will not kill me like inside, but people are going to hate what I'm about to say. But his match, John Cena versus AJ Styles at the Royal Rumble, was as good as Kenny Omega versus <laughs> Okada. Okay, we may have to cut this part out so people don't hear it because that's a big thing to say. Most of the inter- I'm saying it. Most of the internet will, will hate I am you for saying it. it. But that match Let was... Let them hate me. I know. That match, Let them fucking hate me. That match was very good, and it was, I think, as good. I'm not going to say it was better, because Okada and Omega was, you know, that oh, it was, once it was in a lifetime stuff match. almost. So I would definitely say that yeah. I've never been sucked into a WWE match like that in years, to include their match at SummerSlam. This Royal Rumble match was amazing, and I will say it's amazing. It was fucking great. 
We don't get that very much in the WWE anymore. The match was better than their SummerSlam match, and they still did the same top rope AA spot that they did at SummerSlam. So I -hmm. knew he was going to kick out, but when he kicked out, I still jumped out of my seat. Exactly, and then when, like, he, when he rolled him up after the, the fourth AA and then hit the fifth one, or God knows however many yeah. it was, actually, uh, I was like, that is a great way to end this match, and I knew that it was over yes. at that point, and I said, oh my God, you totally deserve this, John Cena, because you have avoided the five moves of doom theory that you can't add anything to your repertoire whatsoever. Yeah, that, that AA roll into a second AA was a great spot, and definitely was a, the perfect way to end that match, because... You you could tell that he just could not, like he started to believe like I don't think I can beat him, I don't I don't think I could put AJ Styles away and then he hit him with that and you were like yep there it is John you did it. Sorry we got so sidetracked there. We, yeah, jeez, sorry about that. We ended up with uh, like like we said Taz uh, did end up tapping out Sabu <laughs> with a, a very good uh, a very good match that went went almost Thanks eighteen for- minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reining us back in. Bring you back in. Um, Alfonso does yeah. turn on Taz, and he joins up with Sabu and RVD, and they move on. There's some feuding after that, but then we move on to uh, to I guess the second main event, but the first part of the second main event, which is the three way dance to determine the number one contender for Raven's title. Yeah, and it was uh, Terry Funk going up against the Sandman and Big Daddy Cool Stevie Richards. <laughs> Big Stevie Cool. Yes, I love it, and I love, I loved how uh, Joey Styles. My favorite thing that he said the entire night was when the Blue World Order was coming out, and he goes, "There they are, the the Blue World Order. There's Big Daddy Stevie Cool. The insiders are here. The insiders, yeah. <laughs> the insiders, not the outsiders. The insiders are here. Lest we I not thought mention that was great. the Blue Meanie and Hollywood Nova and the Inchworm were all there as well." <laughs> Yes. So this was the, the whole BWO contingent was uh, definitely being represented. Yeah, and the crowd liked them. I liked them as well. I, I like I like the parody of the NWO, and I actually like Stevie Richards being kind of put in this main event scene, not as the top guy, but definitely competing because he was. I think he was good enough at this time to be in the conversation with some of these guys in ECW to deserve being in a match with guys like the Sandman and obviously one of the best ever, Terry Funk. I never liked the Sandman. I hate his look, and at this time he was extremely out of shape. Like super his, fat. Uh, it was, yeah, like like Kevin Owens looks like. <laughs> Where are you going? With this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to I'm trying to watch my words so I don't because everyone already hates me. So yeah, uh, he makes Kevin Owens look like he's in at least decent shape. I never liked the Sandman. I thought the gimmick was cool. I, I thought it was different that he smoked and drank on the way to the ring, and he he definitely. <laughs> yes. When you think of the kendo stick, you do think himself. of you do think of the the Sandman when you think of the kendo stick. So he has that going for him. But uh, I was he never did anything in the ring that I liked. He, he wasn't much of a worker no. in the ring. He no. was just more of a, more of a figure. Yeah, when he would do his. Uh... Uh, you saw that with a lot of these ECW guys when they would do their run and jump over the top rope. They would do the thing where they go sideways and like, like try to, like basically what like a fifty-year-old like out of shape man would do. <laughs> okay, it it just looked terrible. I'm sorry. I'm just I did not 
I don't like Sandman. That's all I want to say. Okay, so we but we have the Sandman, we have Terry Funk, and we got Stevie Richards in a three-way dance, elimination style. And of course, it got it got hardcore pretty quick. The Sandman left several yeah, times. He he disappeared. Joey Styles would go, "Well, he's in the back again." And he'd come back with weapons. Yeah, he he left to go to the back and uh, oh, he's got a a trash can wrapped in steel. Yeah. <laughs> is what they call it. Sheet metal. As if a trash can's not hardcore enough. Yeah. Let's let's wrap it in steel, I guess. But yeah, it, it became just you know a, pretty much like a hardcore match. I had someone watching it with me going, "Is is this a TLC match?" I was like, "Nope, it's just this, this is, is just ECW. This is just a regular this match is a tip- in ECW." This, yes. I uh, had a couple ladder spots where the ladder was set up in a way where they would jump onto it and mm-hmm. have it shoot up and smack someone in the face. Uh, that, poor Stevie Richards is usually the recipient of that. Yeah, he took a lot of stuff. And this match, I don't want to say I wasn't impressed by it, but this was a cut-and-dry ECW type of match for me. There was nothing really special yeah. about it. There was a couple good spots, but they were all typical ECW spots, like you said, with the latter. And Stevie Richards did receive most of them. <laughs> but it's that tr- it's that typical ECW style, like you called it, that you know you had the fans chanting, ECW, yeah. ECW. Like when, when there's no real ring work going on, it's just people hitting each other with inanimate objects. Yeah, because there weren't any. I mean, to me, that's not wrestling. No, this wasn't wrestling. This was ECW. Um, Steve, Stevie Richards, the only real guy in the ring that could do much I, technical things. Terry Funk knew how to do a suplex, but that's really all he's got. And the Sandman doesn't know how to do any. Sandman can't do any type of traditional. He knows how to DDT. Whatsoever. Okay, he can DDT. He can DDT. <laughs> But we see a couple. Of and you had, uh, yeah, Tommy. We had Tommy Dreamer on the uh, announce in the announce uh, booth, so to speak, with Joey Styles. Can we call it a platform? He kept please? chiming in. The one thing, yeah, the one thing he kept saying. The only thing he kept saying was, "Raven's going to be fresh. These guys are in a war. Raven's fresh. I can't believe it." It was him trying to oversell the situation because, I mean, they know going yeah. into it that Funk's going to. To, to be the guy going over. So they kind of really try to build it up through commentary with, with the dreamer because, you know, Funk's his guy and that's his, his idol and all these, all these things. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I don't want to say necessary, but it was better that dreamer was up there with styles on commentary and was saying a few things here and there. Well, it definitely set up for the uh, actual championship match with, which got started right away. As soon as Terry Funk got the, the pin Raven was right there in the ring yeah ready to uh, start the next match and just beat the piss out of Terry Funk the match actually went like, pretty long too the, th- the three-way dance it was almost a 20 minute match yeah and Stevie Richards gets double power he gets double teamed with a power bomb so he's out of it relatively quickly but he hangs around and Sandman and Funk go back and forth with some hardcore stuff and Richards gets back in the ring with this the Stevie kick and I think we see a modified Terry Funk salt <laughs> off the top rope. Uh, he he's definitely he definitely wasn't a spring chicken anymore uh, at this time. He <laughs> was like fifty three years, years old. <laughs> but by God, he got up there and he did it. He would do anything in the ring. Him and Mick Foley are. I mean, they're the same exact person. They'll do anything to get one person excited in the crowd. Yeah, and and at this point, Terry Funk was not a. I wouldn't even say he was a decent wrestler, but. Uh, he was exactly what was needed for this pay-per-view. Yep, I like that Terry Funk was in it. I like that he 
wins the match because it, it, it adds a piece of legitimacy to the ECW brand when you have a legend. I mean, he, at this, even in 97, he was a legend. So yeah. I think it, it definitely added to it and made it, uh, made it a bit more real. Yeah. And, uh, like you said, Stevie Richards comes in, they double team Sandman, uh, put a trash can on him and then Stevie kick him. Yep. And then, yeah, he Funk gets the win. And then as soon as that match was over, the next match started right away with Raven hopping in to just start just destroying Terry Funk, put him through table, uh, hit him with all kinds of weapons, had, had Raven's nest come out and, uh, run interference and well run interference as in come in and continue the beatdown on Terry Funk. Oh yeah. And you and I are both big fans of Raven, probably more so his gimmick than the actual person. But, uh, he, he came yeah. right in, started beating the shit out of Funk that, that fat chick came in and did a power bomb that she botched completely and landed on her own leg. Yes. But, but she was huge. She, so she lifted up Funk, so good for her. And uh, you see Dreamer. Yes. You kind of saw the build coming as Raven starts to get on the mic and he starts to call out Dreamer. You kind of knew where this might end up going with Dreamer coming down to the ring. And so they slowly built up at that, that point because this is a and really short match. Dick Dudley. Yeah, the return of Dick Dudley. And then Joey Styles is like, oh, he's out of jail. He got out of jail and he's here. And oh I was like, yeah, what? sure. I just, yes, Joey, he is out of jail. And it quickly, so it quickly Tommy Dreamer, uh, Tommy Dreamer, he, he tries to put Tommy Dreamer, uh, chokeslam him through tables, but uh, Tommy Dreamer went ahead and chokeslammed him. Yeah, one of the things that I notice uh, with ECW, and it made me click whenever Big Dick Dudley tried to uh, chokeslam Tommy Dreamer threw a table, and then Tommy Dreamer choke slammed him. Uh, is that if you if you watch, like during that time, almost everyone used the same finisher. Like everyone did a DDT, mm-hmm. everyone did a choke slam. You know, either DDT or choke slam as their finisher. Like look at Raven, look at Tommy Dreamer, look at Sandman. You know, they all did the DDT as their finisher. This was a time of much less athleticism in the ring, so it's nothing like we see so- nowadays where there's very creative <laughs> finishers and things like that. The DDT was about as good as you were going to get, unless you got some guys from Japan doing like the Michinoku <laughs> driver. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's just something that I've always noticed with ECW, and I always got kind of a, a laugh out of. But uh, you're right, he does, uh, he does put Big Dick Dudley down through the tables and Clearly, we all knew this was going to happen because Dreamer and Raven have been feuding since, you know, day one. Ever. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they've been feuding since summer camp, mm. back when they were teenagers. <laughs> Makes sense. Yes. Over uh, Beulah McGillicuddy. Mm. But, once again, yeah. let's, get a, let's get a stabbing for the crowd when they first see her come out. They're like, show your tits. Show your tits. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the type of people we're dealing with. Fuck you, ECW crowd. Yeah, you're worthless and awful. Yeah, anyway. So, of course, Dreamer came down, interfered in the match. Uh, I believe gave gave the, the finishing DDT to Raven. And then Terry Funk did the thing where he's, like, swinging his body around, trying to, like, get over to Raven to yeah. make the tag. The, not the tag. Jesus Christ. Get a wow. hold of yourself. Wow. To make the pin. Yeah. And then Raven kicks out at two, but the the ring or the bell guy 
rang the bell prematurely, which kind of took took the sting out of the win for me. Yeah, because then it absolutely you know did. they did the then they had to do the actual pin spot. Terry Funk gets the pin and wins the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. When the when it came to the after the the Dreamer DDT and the cover by Funk, the crowd was really into that spot, and you know Funk's getting the cover, and it was really dramatic. And it, it, it's even better when Raven kicks out of it, but the crowd yes. was, the crowd was so loud that they counted to three before the I mean the ref pops up to show two to the, the timekeeper, but yeah. the fucker he starts ringing the bell, and you if you look over and you look at Dreamer who's right next to the 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 bell, he looks over to the guy and he says something like. Hey, you weren't supposed to fucking ring it just there. So, fine. Then he's <laughs> which he probably did say those exact yeah, words. Yeah, because the guy definitely messed it up. Easy to... And he uh, he definitely took a bit yeah. of a, the actual pop out of it because they pop right up, and then he puts him into a, a small package, and he gets the win. And you know the crowd is still just almost as into it. But I think had the bell not rung accidentally, then it, it would have been even bigger when uh when they announced the winner. Yeah, that was just the one thing that. Overall, the match was it was good for what it was, which was, of course, Raven. You know, he had to go in and just destroy Funk because he was the fresher guy. Mm-hmm. Funk did just, you know, go through, you know, a hardcore match, you know, a war, as they kept calling it. So, you know, every all the pieces fell into place. Uh, Raven was doing his super heel stuff. Dreamer, the consummate babyface in ECW. Came down, delivered the DDT. I think it should have just been – he should have just pinned him on the DDT. Yeah, I think, the I think pop, that would have been a better finish. The was, was just as big from the crowd. They could have finished it there. But uh, it was still still good because, I mean, that was the first move that Raven had taken in the entire match. So it made sense for yeah. him to kick out of it and then be rolled up in a kind of surprise fashion by Funk to get the win. And then Raven sits up almost right away. He still looks fresh when he loses. So they still sold it just as good. Yeah, if, if it wasn't for that – uh, the bell guy ringing the bell. Uh, that would have been the perfect spot. But uh, uh, all in all, it was a, it was a great way to finish their first ever pay per view. I don't know how I feel about having someone like Terry Funk win the title off of Raven. Like, like yeah, I, I understand why you put him in that situation, but Raven should have came out on top. I think Just it was, for the future of the company. Oh, yeah. Absolutely for the future. It should have been the right call to have him do that. But for this being their first pay-per-view, I think they wanted to kind of like establish themselves and to, to have a guy like Funk who's been around the world at this point already and done done everything to make him go over on a guy like this. Uh, I mean, it made sense at the time, and I think, it was, I think it was good. But even having Raven beat Funk clean would have been just as good, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, all in all, what did you think of Barely Legal, ECW's first ever pay-per-view? I think for the product that they had at the time and the, the talent that was there and the lack of talent in some spots, it was probably better than what they expected to do. The matches were pretty good. There was some shit in the middle that shouldn't have happened. But I have to call it a success because of what they had at the time and what they didn't have at the time, which was money. So they put it on, they did well, and a lot of credit goes to to Paul Heyman. I th- I think as a whole, if you're if you're trying to look at it as like an objective, you know, like a wrestling, you know, show, it's like, oh, it, it wasn't 
very good. But if, like you said, if you put everything together, you look at it at all the angles, uh, how much work it took to actually get on pay-per-view, uh, how it almost New Jack almost completely uh, unraveled mm-hmm. all hopes of pay-per-view. But they they put it together. They had everything go on without a hitch. Uh, if there were hitches, it was very minor, like the ring, uh, like the bell. But uh, other than that, everything went on. I, I assume how they planned it, and uh, like you said, all in all, it was a success. And this uh, this started a, a good trend of success because they had a lot of success following this pay-per-view wise and even TV wise for a couple of years. They were a very strong brand that uh, that was there for a certain specific audience, and it was very successful. Yeah, they were definitely number three. Like, there's no like, there's a lot of people. I see a lot of people trying to say that they were close to being a number two. Mm-hmm. There was no. No comparison uh, between the big two at the time. Uh, but ECW was definitely very good for what they were, which was a regional promotion, just doing their best to get a foothold in the wrestling community. And they had their dedicated, loyal fan base there. And they never lost their fans. Still to this day, they haven't lost their fans. So, yeah, I'd say it was a success. Yeah, I don't. Com- I can't compare this to what WCW was and what WWF was during the Monday Night Wars because this was this could not compare. This was significantly different when both WCW and WWF were the exact same. They put on the same type of stuff. This was very different. This was an independent promotion. This is what Ring of Honor is now. I don't watch Ring of Honor, but they have a small following of very devout fans, and that's exactly what ECW wanted, and that's what they got back in the day. And, you know, speaking of Ring of Honor, I've I've tried watching Ring of Honor, and it's like you said, very much what ECW was back in the mid-90s. You know, it has its devote following, but if, if you try to watch it as like a pure wrestling fan, you're like, oh, this is not great. I mean, I see why people like it, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not my cup of tea. Right. It's something that you would watch, but you, if something else is on that's better, you might watch it if you're not a diehard fan of them, and I'm not. I like some of the talent no. in Ring of Honor, like Lethal. But yes, I just like back in the day, I liked some of the talent on ECW, but I was by no means an ECW guy. Oh, absolutely. There was Shane Douglas and Raven, and that's pretty much it for me in ECW. But I, I think this is definitely a success for what it was, and it started a pretty good trend for them. They had some strong years, and then, of course, it all faded. But uh, we'll get into that another time. All right, so that was our take on ECW's Barely Legal, their first ever pay-per-view. Uh, Thank you for listening to our paper review on that show. Uh, Go ahead and share with us what your thoughts on this uh, pay-per-view were. You can find us on Facebook. uh, Just search Collar and Elbow Wrestling. Find us on Twitter at CAE Wrestling. Uh, We're also on Instagram. Uh, You can can find us on, on a lot of social media platforms. You can also find us on iTunes. Stitcher Radio, Google Play. Uh, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe, and you know, please join in in the wrestling conversation on all social media platforms. We'd love to get to know what, get to know you, uh, get to know what your thoughts on the wrestling product is, and let us know what you think of uh, ECW's very first pay per view. Uh, this has been the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. I'm Kenny Oak, joined by Chris Harris, and together we can make wrestling great again.